Good morning, everyone. We welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable discussion. We are recording today from the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, the United States of America. And we are so glad you could join us today for our subject on man. And we will start with the morning prayer. I'll read the first stanza of uh, hymn 290, and then a small excerpt from Divinity Course and General Collectania, page 179. Press on, press on, ye sons of light, and tiring in your holy fight, so treading each temptation down and battling for a brighter crown. Make supplication to God daily that you may be delivered from all beliefs of sin and of sickness. And after doing this, then turn. Turn to and demand of yourself to realize the unreality and recognize your power over the temptation to yield to any such an illusion. Mary Vicka Eddy. Beautiful, thank you. Okay, Karen. Watch number 403. Watch that you realize that it is more important to learn what man is than what man is not. Through the handling of error, we learn what man is not. And through the reflection of divine mind, we learn what man is. Students should never become so absorbed in working to learn what man is not, that they do not sufficiently emphasize the sequence that leads to the recognition of what man is as God's reflection. Mrs. Eddy saw the danger of placing too much emphasis on the negative side of our work when she directed the students as follows, quote, let your minds go out every two hours. All is peace, goodwill, love, etc. Say nothing of error. Confine your thoughts to the right side. End quote. Sometimes students work so assiduously for human harmony that they forget to continue this effort to the point of realizing divine harmony. Human harmony is cleaning a bottle, whereas divine harmony is filling it with the inspiration of good. Many practitioners clean the bottle for their patients and go no further. They have not really done them any good, nor does their work deserve to be called anything but mind cure. The true Christian scientist never leaves his patient until he has filled the latter's consciousness, if possible, with the spirit of God. Thank you. Okay, comments on that? Ten to one. What's it? Ten to one. Ten to one. Ten to one, yes. That's been our instruction here. Ten affirmations to one denial. I think yeah, I, I, I. Go ahead, Florence. No, no, I was just going to say it's important to know who we are so that we see the counterfeit is being repeated here and 
that's just what we have to do to be living that, you know, to daily knowing our spiritual individuality and what that means or a child of God and what that means. And this helps us to see the unreal or the unreality of the errors that come. Thank you. Karen? Well, I was just going to say that, you know, since coming here, I have really learned that much more that arguing with the lie (coughs) really tends to make it more real. And so I've, I've had to learn that, yes, we need to deny that there's any reality to what we, uh, what the aggressive mental suggestion is or error presenting itself. But once we see it for a lie, we do need to just, like it's already been said, go to the truth and stay with the truth about what is. And, uh, and, and that's so much more important. And that's it's helped. I'm, I'm much better with that since coming here. Yes, good. This is, this is why we do all that we do um, in the practice, in the roundtables, to instruct you as to the truth of being. So you're not just uh, left there wondering how, what, and why. Yeah, you, you definitely you give that era a good whack, and then you let it destroy itself, and then you stay with the truth of being. Isn't Wasn't your forum comments sort of about this, Linda? Yes, actually it was, because I felt like that was a big lesson recently that I had, because I was trying to use, uh, now I see what he explains in here. I was trying to just <clears throat> argue with the error. I was trying to give it a lot of wax, but I wasn't doing the other part, which was feeling my consciousness with the inspiration of good. I left that with the spirit of God. And when I got to the point where I don't know, I don't, I was using some of the stuff I was giving to, to me by my practitioner or some other things and listening to audios. And it became so clear to me how important it was just to fill yourself up with that. And that the other one was uh, just human will. And it wasn't helpful at all. It was just me trying not to do something <laughs> that I, rather than understanding who I was. And uh, then uh, just all these demonstrations took place. That, and then it, I could see it was my, the little things that were showing me this was the right direction to be going in. It was so freeing. It was such a joy. The work was so different. It was just that's wonderful. Thank you. Mrs. Eddy says, don't beat out against the mist. Right. Simply rise above it. And also, when this was something Mrs. Evans gave me years ago, um, Mrs. Eddy says, don't leave anything in the negative. Right. Because when you're churning things out and you leave it in the negative, you've you've gone nowhere. Right. In fact, you've gone backwards. Yeah. You also accentuate the positive. You eliminate <laughs> the negative. Yeah. That's with Mr. In Between. <laughs> the philosophy. And it, it it's filling your consciousness with the truth that gives you the power to whack oh, error right. when it comes to you. Yeah. If you aren't filling your consciousness with the truth, you don't have any whack. Right. <laughs> you, you've got nothing to defend yourself or or to defeat the, the error. And that is why when Jesus was tempted, he was able to say, it is written, and then whack it. This is, this is how you, you 
study and pray and, and read. And so you have what I call your arsenal, your ammunition to, to blast the hell out of air with what is true. And you have great confidence in it because you're building up your storehouse of truth, not your storehouse of error. Yeah. I, I've told you that story the first time in, in one of Mrs. Evans' classes many years ago when we were all to write a, a watch message and I and everyone had to get up and read theirs and I got up and read mine and you know she ripped it apart Be- why because it was all it was all negative is you got to do this you got to do that you got to get up <laughs> mm-hmm. and everyone felt very depressed when I sat down <laughs> and that's not the purpose of it and you watch yourself when you're watching make sure you're not doing that and we always start out with the positive the omnipotence omnipresence omniscience of God end with that and stay with it for the most part, except give that air a good whack. Yeah, a good whack only is nothing, not as something. Anyone else? And end with peace. And end with peace, yes. And then you know, you. how do you know if your watch is successful? You'll feel peaceful. You won't feel depressed. That's why, you know, in whenever we're sent things, whether it be a lesson or article or whatever, that's one of the gauges how do i feel after i've read it do i feel good and uplifted or i feel oh my god (laughs) oh whoa (laughs) whoa is me (laughs) if you feel woe is me you haven't done a good (laughs) whatever it is you're working to do so all right um subject being man go ahead with the golden text lil for ye are bought with a price therefore Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Thank you. Anyone want to mention anything about that? This is a wonderful lesson on temptation, and it was also in the Wednesday readings, too. Um, I have thought a lot more about temptation recently than I ever did because, you know, I just thought all oh, these big temptations, you know, you're not supposed to kill someone. Well, that's kind of a no brainer, but oh my gosh, this idea of temptation is so much more than that. We get tempted all day long. And as I said in my testimony Wednesday, the temptation always is to believe that there's some other power other than God and to fall for it. And we must, must be on guard and that's the wonderful power of uh, the Lord's Prayer and Mrs. Eddy's spiritual interpretation. And God leadeth us not into temptation, but delivereth us from sin, disease, and death. He is with you throughout the day, delivering you from the temptations, whatever they call themselves. And I, I loved what Jasmine wrote on the forum because this is this is really the whole crux of it. She says, in the scripture, the word temptation denotes the struggle that takes place in the awareness of an individual who has free choice of being, true to the perfect principle of spirit or unfaithful to it. Now that's it. Are you going to be faithful to God? And his commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me, or are you going to be unfaithful to it? 
And if you gauge that on everything you do, it'll keep you safe. But you, you've got to have that love for God. If you don't love him, then you won't care to be faithful to him. But when you know who he is, yes, you'll want to be faithful to him. This, will, this will steer you clear of all temptation. And, and part of the drill here is knowing who he is. I mean, Mrs. Eddie starts her textbook. Ignorance of God is no longer a stepping stone to faith. The only guarantee of obedience is what? Right, the right understanding of him. A right apprehension of him. Yes, indeed. And, and that is why we study the science, so that we know who and what God is better each day. I mean, are you faithful to the truth? Are you faithful to love? Are you faithful to principle? I mean, go through the synonyms. Are you faithful? And do you love what they stand for? Exactly. And if you do that, if you obey that first commandment, you will. You cannot disobey all the rest of them. You won't kill. You won't covet. You won't commit adultery. All the things you you won't do it if you're faithful to God, and and that does keep you safe. If you try to be faithful to person, then you're on shaky ground. It has to be to God. So, thank you all, everyone. Now, that golden text, Carrie sent me this a good article about it. I'll read some of it to you. Um, just as a student of mathematics wins his reward of a correctly solved problem by diligent application to the rules involved, or the musical artist attains the achievement of a beautifully rendered program through persistent daily practice, so we, in our work of regaining and possessing forever the kingdom of heaven or consciousness of absolute harmony, have also a definite price to pay. For as the apostle says, ye are bought with a price. What is a stipulated price we are required to pay for this demonstrable knowledge that we eternally live and move and have our being in God good, whereby we may prove that this state of existence is at hand for all men to experience and enjoy? The answer is embodied in Jesus' reply to the rich young man who came running, so eager was he to inquire what he should do to inherit eternal life. The master enumerated the commandments and counseled him to obey them. Whereupon the impetuous questioner replied, with a little of the self-righteousness, which goes with strict adherence to the mere letter of the law. All of these things I have observed from youth. Be Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Nevertheless, he did not hesitate to lay bare the materiality and poverty of the young man's thought, but said, One thing thou lackest, go thy way. Sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. Not all the worldly wealth of this young man could buy for him the treasure he coveted, 
namely eternal life. If it could have done so, we can imagine with what impulsive extravagance he would have poured out a portion of his riches at Jesus' feet. What could purchase it for him then? Nothing less than the very mental characteristics which he at that moment lacked. The qualities of meekness, wisdom, selflessness, love, mercy, Christ-likeness. The price to be paid for the acquirement of these rare virtues was to go and sell, get rid of whatsoever he had, whatever in his consciousness was material. Pride of worldly possessions and faith in matter must be cast out to make room for the thoughts of purity and love, a more enduring sense of substance. And what would the price then be paid? Not until these spiritual graces, so dearly bought, were intelligently used, reflected to others, give to the poor, Jesus said. That is, prove to the receptive heart the truth of God's universal loving kindness, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. The imperishable truth of life as God will be yours through demonstration. But that is not all, for the master continued. And come, take up the cross and follow me. Forsake worldly aims and affections. Exchange these mocking concepts of happiness for the beauty of holiness, which is the adornment of a life consecrated through self-sacrifice and self-discipline to the demonstration of God as divine love. That is very beautiful. That is a perfect explanation of that story, which many people ponder, thinking they have to sell all their house and goods and everything. Um, the name of it is Redeeming the Time by Bertha V. Sariga from a 1916 issue of the journal. And we should have that online in, in our magazine. So very important. That's you are bought with a price. And remember, too, in, uh, I guess it's in miscellaneous writings where Mrs. Eddy talking about the, the ten virgins. She says, seek the truth and pursue it. It should cost you something. You are willing to pay for error and receive nothing in return. But if you pay the price of truth, you shall receive all. So... Think about all those, the price you're having to pay. Are you doing that? Are you willing to do that? Are you following the Christ? Are you giving up all your worldly, um, worldly materiality for this? I mean, only you can ask those questions of yourself and give the right answer. So... It's a very important golden text. And also, glorify your God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I was talking to someone this week about that we own nothing in this world, including our own bodies. That's why when you abuse your body, which is the temple of the living God, and there are many ways to abuse it, I mean, there are obvious ways, 
drugs, alcohol, smoking, eating junky food, the list can go on, right? Mm-hmm. You abuse it. You are abusing a gift that God has given you. And there will be consequences for that. And no one can help you but yourself in those instances. You've got to go and sin no more, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So don't do it. I was thinking, on the other hand, if you adore it, make a God out of it, instead of seeing it correctly, the way God wants us to see it, that would be also off track. Thank you. One of the precepts books, uh, Carpenter writes about how Miss Mazzetti was very diligent about taking her care of herself, that the whole point was that she was protecting the, uh, herself as a worker for God, for the cause. And I just, um, you know, and she went to great lengths. And it was just because she knew how important this work was. And so she, and that she saw herself as the, the worker needed protection. Yes, thank you. It's not wise to get overtired or over hungry or over uh, any of those things. Um, you are to take proper care of your temple. Uh, Mrs. Evans certainly taught us that too. Um, and look the best you can. Be the right weight. All of those things. And, and God maintains you in doing that. When you're living a godly life, it will, it will be maintained naturally. Now, when you don't have uncontrolled thoughts or desires, then things get out of whack one way or the other. And those are all temptations. Yes, all right. temptations. Thank you. And God delivers you from those. If you're aware of it, uh, it's yeah, it's it's important to be a, a good representative of the Christ. Now, the minute though you cross the border and you do as Florence was saying and worship your body, and you're going to run twenty miles a day, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do that, and you've got the body beautiful, which is such a disgusting thing. And it's all over the place and you're going to diet and you're going to do this and you're going to bow down to all the material rules and laws. You have crossed over. Yes. And you have a false God. Maintaining yourself, you maintain it in God, not in human ways and means. And I'm telling you, anytime if I've ever crossed over that line, do I get a whack? I'm not allowed to do that. And that's why when you get a. you get where you're growing and, and you, there's no longer choices anymore. You have to obey God. You, you have to. If I start, and I haven't done this because I know better, but, you know, if I used to think I was going to do some diet or some physical regimen, right away I'd begin, I'd feel terrible. I could not be, just be miserable. And it didn't take long. And I had more problems than when I started out. Because <laughs> it was the wrong path. It's a belief of life and matter. So, and you don't worship the effect. Mm-hmm. You, you, you worship God and take care of what God gives you and love your neighbor as you, as you love God. Everything 
everything falls into place. God takes care of what you are and what you have. But it's because you love God and you serve your divine purpose. I mean, after all, that's what makes us happy and keeps us happy. Nothing else can. So why not? Thank you. Yeah. Karen, you wrote about the responsive reading. Would you like to um, say anything? Um, well, I, <laughs> I, I mentioned two things. I don't know which one you, but <clears throat> the um, I thought Matthew Henry's commentary was um, pretty much spot on. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if you want me to read what I, what I wrote, but um, I'll just I'll, I'll just read it. But it is not every man who suffers that is blessed, but he who, with patience and constancy, goes through all difficulties in the way of duty. Afflictions cannot make us miserable if we do not, if it be not our own fault. The tried Christian shall be a crowned one. The crown of life is promised to all who have the love of God reigning in their hearts. Every soul that truly loves God shall have its trials in this world fully recompensed in that world above where love is made perfect. The commands of God in the dealings of his providence try men's hearts and show the dispositions which prevail in them. But nothing sinful in the heart or conduct can be ascribed to God. He is not the author of the draws through his fiery trial, through his, though his fiery trial exposes it. Those who lay the blame of sin either upon their constitution or upon their condition in the world or pretend they cannot keep from sinning wrong God as if he were the author of sin. Afflictions as sent by God are designed to draw out our graces but not our corruptions. The origin of evil and temptation is in our own hearts. Stop the beginnings of sin or all the evils that follow must be wholly charged upon us. God has no pleasure in the death of man, as he has no hand in their sin, but both sin and misery are owing to themselves. As the sun is the same in nature and influences, though the earth and the clouds often come in between, make it seem to us to vary. So God is unchangeable, and our changes and shadows are not from any changes or alterations to him. What the sun is in nature, God is in grace, providence and glory, and infinitely more. And then I ended with Mrs. Eddy's quote on page 527. Man is God's reflection, needing no cultivation, improvement, correction, but ever beautiful and complete having no deficiency, perfect. Thank you. Yes, that was wonderful. Um, and, and it shows because people love to blame their circumstances or, or they just couldn't help but it. You know, I, I just can't help not smoking. I it just can't. You know, I have no control over it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you choose it. Huh? <laughs> what are you trying to convince? That's it. You choose not to have control over it for whatever reason, because for some reason you think it, it gives you pleasure. Well, that pleasure will be equally met in pain. 
if <laughs> that's and that is not my opinion that's just how it is and that's true of these other so-called vices and, um, and god is not the author of all any of this no we we you know the only thing sin can do is to punish itself yeah. This is what he says in Science and Health, that self-adamant of the adamant yes. of error is self-love, self-will, and self-justification. Thank you. Thank you. And when I see it, it doesn't take much for me to see, oh, am I justifying right now what I'm doing? Yeah. that's the adamant of error, which is not good. <laughs> I was just going to quote that. Thank you. That's exactly, <laughs> that's the adamant. That, that's not your friend. That'll no. keep it. So you, you think you're enjoying it for a while? Well, uh-uh. Any of the things. I had read, it was in Collectani a couple of days ago about the temptations of Jesus. And um, Mrs. Eddy brings a point that some, some are the physical temptations, some are more mental. The physical, and these are more the vices. Yes, the drinking, smoking. Um, Jesus was tempted. He was hungry, right? He wanted bread. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He had to overcome those temptations. We all do. And then come the more mental ones, whether it's I'm no good or I'm great. <laughs> throw throw yourself off the pinnacle and you'll Let's see how great you are. See how great you are. <laughs> and and I to some degree I liken it. I was telling Gary years ago, you know, when we first started coming to church, at first it was, oh, I'm sick. I can't go. You know, I'm, I'm way too sick. Or, or, or uh, well, I've got company. Or in case this happened to my brother once, he's he's a landlord and somebody's pipes all bro- burst, you know, half an hour before church was to start. There are all these sort of seemingly physical reasons why you can't do it. And then it, when you see it and say, aha, that's just animal magnetism trying to keep me from doing what I need to do. Aha. And you come, even if you crawl in, then you start to learn how to handle those temptations, those suggestions. Then the second barrage is, I'm no good. I don't belong here. Everyone else is doing better than I, or I don't like so-and-so. She looked at me funny, or I don't want to do this work anymore. or This is demanding too much. All the mental. And these are temptations, suggestions, temptations. Then when you overcome those, <laughs> then to some degree, air leaves you alone because it knows. It knows that you know. Yes, it knows you know. You're wise to it. And that I am playing with you. I love that. <laughs> I am playing with you. When you get those thoughts, that's what you say. I'm not. No, don't mess. Don't mess with me. Slam the door. I remember an, an experience I had that, re, that just made I've thought about it so often recently, but I was, you know, it was when I was a member of the other to a branch church and I was a hostess uh, one Wednesday night. And um, I don't, can't remember exactly what was happening at home, but I was in tears and I just didn't, I was, I was ready to call for a substitute to, to take my place. I just, how can I stand at the door and welcome people how I'm supposed to with a friendly face and love when I'm feeling so miserable inside. And something stopped me from calling in and, and um, g- giving a reason or just getting a substitute. So I did end up going, wiped my tears and t- 
tried to make myself look like I hadn't been crying. And I just, all the way to church, I just said, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm serving God, and I'm just going to give my, do my best to just welcome everybody the way I'm supposed to. And this older woman, um, and I had three kids at home, too, so I was a busy, but this older woman walked in, and she looked, took one look at me, and she said, honey, I have to tell you, you are just radiant. And I just, and I, she walked in and I thought to myself, well, if that isn't a message, I would never have heard that. I would never have demonstrated. If I hadn't, if I had gotten a substitute, I would have missed that whole learning experience. Thank you. Yes. And that bingo, you see, you got rid of all yourself, all those arguing temptations, got rid of it all. And you came in and radiated and the woman saw that. And that's, yeah. that's so that's so wonderful. And that if there's any value of church and church work, it's in that. It's in that. And that's great value. And Jesus said, let your light so shine that men may see your good works. Yeah. Yeah. Just when you think you can't. <laughs> Possibly. That's it. You know. Yeah. Well, and and. <laughs> The fact is, we can't, but yeah. God can. Yeah. And if we let God work in us, there isn't anything that we can't accomplish that's good that God wants us to accomplish. You know, that's over and over in the Carpenter books where Mrs. Eddy would give her students impossible tasks to accomplish, whether it was building the mother church or whatever. And that is the beauty of the mother church, the edifice, all the, all the right thought, not actually the brick and mortar, but the right thought, what went into it, the supply that was met, all these impossibilities that were overcome. And Mrs. Evans liked to do that to, to us as well. She would give us impossible things to do. <laughs> totally impossible, humanly impossible. Because when it's humanly impossible, and this is what Mrs. Eddie knew, you have to rely on God to do it. And, I mean, I know Jeremy has that all the time, right? <laughs> yeah. I, like, and I, I cannot even say how many times something, some challenges come up. And I was just, just that realization I'll work as long as it takes to get through this. Often it just immediately evaporates, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that. And the solution comes. So right away. When, yeah. you, when you lay it on the altar. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. you know, part of it is because I've proven before that I <laughs> I will work a long time until, until it comes. You know, I will listen and do what I can. So. And Era knows when, when you mean business, and it backs off every time. It's amazing. And often, too, if you're coming against something, um, when you know you meant, do your mental work to be unmovable about the situation, perhaps you're dealing with some person that seems impossible, you do your mental work, uh-uh, that person's not, uh-uh, not, not, <laughs> not going to try to do anything um, that's not right. If you do your mental work, it won't even come up. The arrow knows, and it won't even appear. Mental work is so important. That's why I pray before, during, after, always. And that word, engrafted, means to set or fix deep and firm. 
and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. And then this also from an article, The Tree of Life, says various images are given to us to set forth the manifold value of the word of truth. It is compared to gold and silver. Psalm 119. By St. James in this passage, it is called the engrafted word or the implanted word. It is as the graft put into the tree, which when it takes and grows, changes its whole character and produce. So when God's truth enters the soul, it becomes as the germ and origin of a new and holy life. That is so beautiful. And this is called the grace of God, God's grace. And that wonderful, um, I love this wonderful definition of it. The spirit or influence of God operating in man to strengthen and regenerate. To regenerate is to plant holy affections in the heart, a virtue of divine origin. So you feel you don't have the strength to do these things. It's God's amazing grace. He gives it to you. You must take the word. You must take this word and receive it. Simple instructions. Not so simple to do. <laughs> take the word and receive it. And then it will implant within you his word, his grace, which will change you to where you want to be and do good. A few weeks ago, you gave a definition of beauty as the assemblage of graces. And I've been thinking yes. that a lot. So thank you. Thank you. Well, and, and isn't this something that we have to allow to happen within us? We have to allow God's grace to come into our hearts and move us. Yep. I mean, yeah. it, you know, we, we are often trained to, to put up walls against things like that. Um, we're, we're, the human mind is trained to shut out the divine mind. And what does Mrs. Eddy say? That the, the, the human mind must yield, right, to the divine mind. But this, and this is something we have to discipline ourselves to do so that the grace of God will come and, and, and master our lives for us. But it's a yielding to God that does it. I just wanted to say coming here and, you know, being relatively quickly after I came here, I, I was put in charge of the broadcasting. And through my time here, I've really done a lot of work to try to see it as clearly as possible so that the broadcast goes out. <laughs> but somewhere along the way, I started thinking that we're not actually like sending the word of God from here to some place where it never has been. It's already there. Everyone's built with it. We're just lighting it up. And I just, I love that. I think of that all the time. That's wonderful. And also, I liked what you wrote on the forum, um, the works of the flesh. So the woman came with what? (laughs) Yeah, being caught in adultery. And they, they really wanted Jesus to be the one to 
you know, say what the punishment was. Apparently they were willing to get at him either way. <laughs> so, but it just, it just got me thinking. I thought a lot about it this week, but then I read that thing about the chess player saying sometimes the best strategy is letting the opponent find a way to lose. And I was thinking of him just bending down and writing on the ground and saying, all right, Father, how, how do I approach this? And, you know, the, and I always, I actually keep that Galatians 5, 19 to 23 or whatever it is around a lot because it's just such a good way to, to see, like, what the good things are and what the bad things are. And, and I just love that he... You know, he met he met every situation with all the right things, and not not one of their tools. So. I know, I know. It was interesting because they were all using the the bad. I mean, the woman with adultery, fornication, and cleanness, and then they the accusers met her with hatred, wrath, and strife. But it took <laughs> Jesus Christ, Jesus, with the the fruits of the spirit to heal it. So all those things, when you're feeling that, when you're getting your nose out of joint, and you're feeling irritated and you don't want to hear correction or whatever else is getting your nose out of joint, you better yield and know it comes from love to bless and only to bless whatever else seems to be bothering you. Get rid of it. Get into the fruit of the spirit. And now something that's maybe the whole thrust of this lesson. I'd like Suzanne to talk about her forum comments. Suzanne, your yeah. Um, so the the uh, the quote from Science and Health: "Infidelity to the marriage covenant is is a social scourge of all races, the pestilence that walketh in darkness. Um, thou shalt not commit adultery is no less imperative than thou shalt not kill, and then some." Chastity is the cement of civilization and progress. Without it, there is no stability in society. And without it, one cannot attain the science of life. When I read it this time, boy, did that really hit me. Um, Because I grew up in a Christian science church. And I have to say, you know, looking back on it, there was so much infidelity and divorce they were to some extent normalized, and I just did not have, although I went to Sunday school and um, loved what I was hearing, there was no practical instruction um, as children. <laughs> I wasn't getting it from my parents, um, it was, and um, there was... <laughs> Even, I mean, anywhere from church members, there was no practical instruction on a, how a child, why uh, do they need to not have sex before marriage? I'll just come out and say it. <laughs> you know? um, what is this? Why are these rules here about thou shalt not commit adultery, which I learned here was, so it's not having sex before marriage. Also, it, it's... It's very holy, the whole um, whole marriage covenant, et cetera. But I felt like it was in an atmosphere of free love, even in the in the Christian Science Church growing up. And as I look back, it 
it saddens me to think because now I, I understand it fully, especially after coming to Plainfield with all the practical um, application of Christian science that we get here. And we get to talk about the body and, and we get to talk about bringing chicken soup to uh, someone who isn't feeling well. I mean, you know, and we were just all airy-fairy in church and it was... Nothing was practical, and I have to say it really did not do me any good on my way um, as a, you know, young person. Uh, I was thrown to the wolves, basically, <laughs> in society. And now we see, I looked up chastity, one of the, uh, in the 1828, purity of the body, freedom from all unlawful commerce of sexes. Um, before marriage, purity from all commerce of sexes, after marriage, fidelity to the marriage bed. And we look about the commerce of sex in our society now. Um, it's not a surprise how our society is, is losing its cement. It's, and, and also progress. We're not making progress. We're going backwards. So, the, the sex trafficking, the pornography, all of this um, going on right now. There was one elderly woman in my church who was just incredible. And she, she spoke out about not checking up about, you know, things like that that were practical. But that was one woman among, you know, hundreds that I met as a Christian scientist you know, child in Christian science. And I have to say it came too little too late. Um, so anyway, those were, it really hit me, these prophetic words of, of Mary Baker Eddy, um, standing up for the importance of chastity and, and what it means to stand up for civilization and progress. Thank you very much. Those are very tough words. Um, and, and rightfully so. It's just like honesty is spiritual power, dishonesty is human weakness, which forfeits divine health. That's a high price to pay to, to be dishonest. This is a high price to pay. It forfeits the science of life if you're not going to be chaste. And I mean, there are many definitions of chaste, but right now in our society, we have given rules, and that is sex within the marriage and to stay monogamous um, to your partner, faithful to your partner. And as Craig talks about heaven, uh, traffic signs on this road, heaven, city limits. <laughs> okay. mm -hmm. we, should have, we should have some limits to all this. And yeah, Suzanne said, people think that this is freedom. To have sex with everyone is freedom. Yeah, right. <laughs> what a this is what the, this is what era does, though. It it turn it tries to tell you the, the exact opposite of the truth. If I saw people a lot happier with having sex with all these people, I'd say great. But you just have to take a look around. No, nobody is. No. Hello. Well, as someone with a twenty-two-year-old daughter, I can tell you that you know her generation is struggling mightily. Yeah. to form relationships, meaningful relationships. And she's come straight out and told me that she's like, it's impossible. We don't, 
and yet, to your point, there's all this free love floating around. And I want to make another point, too, just about Christian science and the approach to this. Uh, that, that comment about chastity that Mrs. Eddy makes has just, it's resonated with me for many years now. I've, I've taken so much new um, inspiration from the chapter of marriage that I didn't have before. And it occurred to me, too, I've heard several Christian scientists make these crazy comments about Mrs. Eddy. Oh, she just had hangups about sex and just kind of dismiss everything that's in the chapter of marriage. Oh, my goodness. Someone a few years ago who was recording Science and Health and who thought maybe you should skip that chapter. I said, no, that's not happening. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what you're saying. That's uh, somehow irrelevant now. Um, And this idea of teaching young children in school about sex to take away their innocency, to get them where they're prepared for pornography and who knows what else. Uh, it is Satanistic. I mean, how can it otherwise? There is also, I saw Disney is putting out this new film. Now, fortunately, there's a huge protest, so maybe it won't come out. But what was it called? The, the little it was demon? was a demon, and the, the woman was going to have a demon baby. Yeah, it's a cartoon. It's called The Little Demon about a child who was a, who had a, <laughs> the mother had sex with the devil or something. This is Walt Disney. Now, it's being protested so hopefully it will not occur but the fact that they could even think of such a thing are you kidding me come on if we don't have any standards who will and i'm not this is in no way of condemnation because i know lord knows what's gone on with most of the population but we can still bring it round and it doesn't matter what is your past you can establish this for yourself to make progress in science, to attain the science of life, to do the best you can with it. We don't want to be either like the Roman priests who <laughs> what, abstain and then we find out they're having sex with little boys. Things, yeah. yeah, you do weird things. Mrs. Evans was always very clear about that you should, if so be it, have a natural sex life if you're married. And... Um, she made that very clear. A Sharon, rabbi can't be a rabbi until he's married. Pretty sure about that. Oh, really? Hmm. Well, that's practical. <laughs> well, I don't know. Florence, what do you have to say? <laughs> no, not too much. Then, really, I mean, I'm, so, <laughs> I'm glad that we have standards to go by. And it says to follow follow your way shower. So I think it's a good thing to have a, some way of doing right. And so our freedom is to do right. And our freedom is to do right in the highest right that we know. And I guess that can mean, that can mean a lot of different things to different people, but we progress slowly out of some of these things. But I did have a mother who was pretty strict on some of this and I'm grateful. Um, but not everyone has, as Suzanne said, and and everyone has had different things to deal with. So, but look at what it did for David and what he had to go through uh, in this story in the lesson. So, hello. It, yes, go ahead, Ingrid. Hi. Uh, I'd like to share two wonderful things for me that I have learned with the study of the science of the Christ. And one is that there's always a spiritual 
way a spiritual definition of everything. And so uh, I learned about adultery as not having an affair with the world and the things of the world. As the scripture says, love not the world, not the things of the world. Uh, but to to have had that spiritual view of adultery was such a wonderful thing and take it, you know, farther than it's just not having sex, but it's also uh, staying away from all the worldly things and not loving them. Um, that really made a difference in my life. And also uh, love what says in science and health about mm-hmm. You know, Christian science doesn't tell you uh, do this or do that in, in your marriage or in your relationships or anything. I just love that it says, let God lead you. Um, I think it's such a wonderful thing. Well, um, well, she does say a few things, though. She definitely, yes, yeah, she does. She's very specific. It's not just a let let God lead you. But, but yes, we all work out our our salvation individually, most definitely. And again, this is in no way of condemnation. Lord knows it isn't. Um, I like what Patricia wrote, according, and this is about what you said as well, where the maker is thine husband. Spirit is thine husband. Every time we sleep with a dream of matter, we are committing adultery. Matter's dream of sin, disease, death, and limitation is unlawful carnal knowledge. And we are just dreaming if we think, that it can be real or benefit us. Now, that gives it a much broader interpretation of it. And yes, there are much broader interpretations of committing adultery anytime you um, are impure in any way, then that's committing adultery because that's the definition of adultery. Okay, thank you, Ingrid, and thank all of you. And we will end with what our leader says. This is admonition and counsel from uh, Miscellany. Beloved Christian scientists, keep your mind so filled with truth and love that sin, disease, and death cannot enter them. It is plain that nothing can be added to the mind already full. There is no door through which evil can enter and no space for evil to fill in a mind filled with goodness. Good thoughts are an impervious armor. Clad therewith, you are completely shielded from the attacks of error of every sort. And not only yourselves are safe, but all whom your thoughts rest upon are thereby benefited. The self-seeking pride of the evil thinker injures him when he would harm others. Goodness involuntarily resists evil. The evil thinker is the proud talker and doer. The right thinker abides under the shadow of the Almighty. His thoughts can only reflect peace, goodwill towards men, health, and holiness. Mary Baker Eddy. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.